This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. I want to talk about how the humble will receive grace. And I, I like this funny little story. It's about a preacher one day. He was uh, pridefully musing about what a fine preacher he had become. So he said to his wife, how many really great preachers do you think there are? And his wife thought for a moment and said, well, I don't know how many really great preachers there are, but there is probably one less than you think. <laughs> it, that probably stung a little bit there. You know, back in 93, 1993, MTV aired a special news report on the seven deadly sins. And the program was advertised as interviews with celebrities and ordinary teens, you know, talking about the seven deadly sins. And it turned out to be quite revealing about at the time of the contemporary attitude towards sin. The rap musician Ice-T looked at the camera and said that lust is not a sin. These are all dumb. Another young fella on the street thought that sloth was taking a break at work. Unbelievable. <coughs> Excuse me, I still have a bit of a cough from my cold. But let's also talk about a fella that we may still remember, Bernie Madoff. Do you remember Bernie Madoff? When he wasn't flying his private $24 million jet across the Atlantic or watching sunsets on the deck of his yacht, uh, uh, yacht he was living a life of luxury at his 10,000-square-foot penthouse in New York City. Bernie and his wife denied themselves nothing. You know, they had a home in France. They had a beach house on both coasts of the United States. Cars, first, everything. You, you get the picture. Everyone wanted to know Bernie, and they would stand in lines to try to try to meet him. But it, all that, all that stuff, came crashing down in December of 2008. That's when Bernie Madoff sat down with his wife and his two kids, sons, and he confessed that he was running that giant Ponzi scheme. It was all one big lie. And over the coming days, weeks, months, all the details came out. And he had masterminded a 22-year-long shell game, the largest financial crime in U.S. history. He had swindled people out of billions of dollars. His collapse was of biblical proportions. He went from the top of the heap to the very bottom. He lost it all, his family, his fortune, his future. So at 71 years old, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. <coughs> Sorry. But why did Bernie Madoff do it? What makes a man live a lie for decades? What was the trade-off for him? According to a biographer from the book um, the uh, Betrayal, The Life and Lies of Bernie Madoff, he said, quote, As a kid, he was spurned and humiliated for what was perceived to be his inferior intellect. 
He was rejected by one girl after another. He was regulated to lesser classes and lesser schools, but he excelled at making money. And with it came the stature that once had eluded him. He had become addicted, hooked on recognition. He wanted the applause of people, and money was his way of earning it. Madoff had clawed and cheated his way to the top of the mountain, only to discover that biblical truth from Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction. If he had only known the promise of God, that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Bernie Madoff is a modern example of someone whose pride and selfishness got him into trouble as well. But if you want to see an even more dramatic picture of the downfall of pride, you don't have to look too far in the Bible to reach the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Madoff's story of rags to uh, riches to rags, really, uh, is small compared to the vast power and possessions and drastic freefall of the king of Babylon. He had led, uh, the Babylonian Empire was led by King Nebuchadnezzar, overthrew Jerusalem in 605 B.C. He transported many of the Jews, Jewish captives back to Babylon, including those, remember those four, uh, Daniel, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Years later, he had built that 90-foot-tall golden statue to his honor and, and wanted everyone to bow down before it. You may remember that the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no, we're not going to do it. That made the king furious, so he, he heated a furnace seven times hotter than usual and had them thrown in. And when those three Hebrew men came out unsinged, he was amazed. The king acknowledged that the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, the, was able to rescue like no other god, and that no one should say anything offensive about their god. And so you could say Nebuchadnezzar tipped his hat toward God, but he would not kneel down to God. Years passed. He was enjoying a time of peace and prosperity. His enemies were under uh, control and under his control, and wealth was secure. Yet, in the midst of his time of ease, he had a bad dream, and it troubled him. And none of his fortune tellers could explain the meaning of his dream, but the king told his dream to Daniel. So in Daniel four ten through 12, he said, or it's written, now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Nebuchadnezzar went on to describe how the tree was cut down by a messenger from heaven, how its branches were trimmed and its fruit scattered, only a stump remained. And so a voice came from heaven, made this pronouncement, uh, yet leave, this was in the, still in that dream, that vision, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. 
Could you imagine being Daniel, hearing this from the king, knowing what the interpretation was going to be because God gave it to him, and he's going to have to break that news to, uh, to old Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, come on. This Keep in mind that at this point in history, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had no peers. He was the uncontested ruler of the world. He, had, he was the one that built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which he built for his wife, where one of the set, they were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The walls of his royal palace were 320 feet high and 80 feet thick. Two four-horse chariots could ride on top of the wall side by side. And during his reign, they think that Babylon's population reached as high as half a million, 500,000. But all that was about to end. And Daniel had to deliver that sobering news. He said to the king in Daniel 4.22, It is you, O king. For you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Uh, That you be driven away from mankind in your dwelling place, be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with dew of heaven, and seven periods of time, that's seven years, will pass over you. Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it with whomever he wishes. And and in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. King Nebuchadnezzar thought, like many of us do, that he was in control of his life. He thought that he was in charge of not only his life, but the whole world. And he was wrong. And so Daniel urged the king in verse 27 of Daniel 4, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Did the king listen to his advice? No. No, he did not, unfortunately. The very next verse says, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Hmm. God had graciously given this king a whole year to humble himself, to climb down from his pompous throne, and he never did. And you notice the the way he described uh, these things? I have built my vast power, my majestic glory. Well, he truly worshipped himself, didn't he? God had sent King Nebuchadnezzar at least three messages in an attempt to help him correct his thinking. He sent the message of the fiery furnace, that God is greater than fire. He sent the message of the dream, God can make today's massive tree tomorrow's ugly stump. And then he sent the warning of Daniel, humble yourself before it's too late. But he refused. He still had 12 more months, and he wouldn't do it. So he's up there, he's... He's contemplating about how great he is. And then in verses 31 to 32, it says, While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared. How scary that must have been. He's up there thinking everything's great. What a wonderful morning. And talking about how great all the things he's done. And then, boom, King Nebuchadnezzar out of heaven. To you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Apparently the king didn't think it would happen. And it says in verse 33, Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away. And all these things came to pass. The old saying is true, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And when the mighty fall, it is a mighty fall. One minute he's on top, thinking he's in charge, and the very next he's on the bottom. He's helpless. God has a lesson for Nebuchadnezzar and for all of us, and the lesson is God hates pride. Scripture is very clear about this truth. Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Why does God use such strong language and stand so strongly against pride and arrogance? God resists the proud because the proud Resist God. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. He was proud. And look at all the possibilities that God gave him to make it right. He wouldn't do it. Too proud. It gets in the way of our relationship with God. It destroys our relationships with others. How how many marriages have collapsed beneath the weight of foolish pride? How many friendships have died because of a lack of humility kept uh, the the apology from being said. The bad news is pride comes at a very high price. But the good news is that humility changes all that. Rather than experience God's punishment for pride, let's let's choose instead to receive God's offer of grace. Right? James four six. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Also. Peter quotes that verse from the Old Testament in 1 Peter 5 5. To the degree that God hates arrogance, he loves humility. For th- this is Psalm 138 6. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God truly has a special place in his heart for the humble and the lowly. He gives grace to the humble because the humble are hungry for God's grace. Because they know they need it. Humility is so healthy and so helpful because it puts everything in the right perspective. One of the best antidotes for pride is a clear understanding of God's greatness. When we realize how big God is, we, then we can finally understand how small we are. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And he will humble. At the, not today, it will be at the judgment day. But those who walk in humility don't need to be humbled by God and can be used by God. I like the story, um, the story of Corey Ten Boom, 
as a girl who became famous after her Dutch Christian family helped many Jews escape the Holocaust. She herself survived one of the concentration camps. And she was asked, you know, when she became famous and everyone wanted her to come talk and write books and they wanted to meet her, she was asked, is it difficult to remain humble? I love what she said. She said, quote, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the mind of that donkey that any of that was for him? Oh, if I could be that donkey on which Jesus rides in his glory, I want to give him all praise and honor. End quote. Man, that's great. Another person said, If I appear great in, the, in their eyes, the Lord is most graciously helping me to see how absolutely nothing I am without him and helping me to keep little in my own eyes. He does use me, but I'm so concerned that he uses me and that it is not of me the work is done. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. Another good quote. It took Nebuchadnezzar seven long years to finally learn that lesson. And here's what the Bible says in Daniel 4, 34 to 37. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me. For the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out, so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. You and I might want to underline that the last part of that passage, Daniel 4, verse 37, where it says, He, that's God, God is able to humble those who walk in pride. Humble those who walk in pride. The sooner we learn to humble ourselves before God, the better off we will be. It is much better to humble ourselves rather than to wait for God to humble us. Nothing, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. And so, humility has many benefits, doesn't it? It keeps us out of the devil's reach. It puts us into God's gracious hands. And God's promise to us is that the humble will receive his grace. And, and that's what happened 
in the story that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. (coughs) Excuse me. There, Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Oh, you hear what the guy's saying? He's saying, God, aren't you glad that you have me on your team? God, aren't you glad I'm playing on your side? You should be. I'm not like these other people. Boom. I'm the man. That's what he's saying. Wrong. Pride. Jesus continues on, verse 13 and 14. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow, what a great example. And how about that prayer? Not very long, is it? Not flowery, doesn't, not, not a lot of poetry. Just simply, God, be merciful, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's it. He had the right perspective. Humble. And that's the kind of attitude that you and I, we need to have. And that's the promise in the words of Jesus right there. The person who exalts himself will be humbled, but the person who humbles himself will be exalted. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you need that grace? I know you do. I do. God promises to give it to the humble. And so I hope all of us will humbly bow ourselves and our lives to God. And I hope that all of us will cling to God's mercy and grace for salvation and for everything we need. Let's humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord because when we do, we receive his grace and he lifts us up. As always, I appreciate you being here with me today. i got a couple of extra minutes. I want to encourage you to go to our website for the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cave Creek. Our website address is www.nvcoc.net. N-V-C-O-C.net. That's the acronym for North Valley Church of Christ. Go there. You can... Find a, a scroll way down. You'll find the radio mic. You can find this program and all of our previous ones. Uh, midway through, you'll see our video. The, the live video is right there on the front and right below that. You'll see links to the previous uh, Sunday morning sermons and Wednesday lessons. Yeah, Wednesday's lessons. You'll find those on there. And I also want to let you know that we have a, a parking lot sale coming up. Let me get my calendar up here. The parking lot sale is going to be, I'm pretty sure, on the 13th and the 14th of November. Where we've got a lot of stuff. Always have a lot of stuff. We sell things to go, and all the proceeds for that goes to the Copper Basin Bible Camp. 
Copper Basin Bible Camp, just just outside of Prescott, Arizona. What a great place to go. Maybe you're out there and you're thinking, man, I would love for my kids to go to, to camp. But you're thinking, man, you look these places up and they, they want $1,000 per kid per camp. Or maybe it's $800 or $600, maybe the cheapest one you can find. We are just under $200. I think it's $195 a kid to go for a whole week to camp up at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. Uh, yeah, we lose money on the, at the camp there for that, but we, we make up for for fundraising in other ways because we want it to be cheap. We want kids to go to camp. We want everyone to have the, to have the opportunity. We feed them. We, we give them. They have so much to do. I promise you when they come home, they will sleep for a week. You'll love it. I send my kids there. It's great. <laughs> it's like having two weeks off. They're gone for a week. They come back, and they sleep for a week. And we start in the in the summer, very beginning of June. Uh, we have all the cans from uh, we got what's called Cub Camp. Cub Camp is for kids, uh, I think, around third grade. Or you can always give us a call or, or uh, email us. You can contact us on our website, CopperBasinBibleCamp.org. And uh, we have the Cub Camp. That's uh, three days. It helps them to learn the camp and being away from mom and dad. We require it for a parent to be up there, not part of the camp, just be there just in case. After that is fourth grade to um, sixth grade camp. That's a whole week. Then junior high, then high school, and combo week. It's great. The kids always love it. Look into that Copper Basin Bible Camp. You can search for it, find our website, and find out more on that as well. Thank you again for being here. And may the Lord bless you in all that you do. Be safe out there, folks. Do the right thing. Voting coming up, that's important. But always remember, no matter who wins, God is in control. God's in control. Always remember that. Thank you, and have a good day. Sending up to sweep away till Shaddam the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.